The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you have Bibles, go ahead and open those up to uh, the book of Ephesians. That's where we're going to be this morning. Baptism Sunday. You know, sometimes we, we're not real sure why it's so exciting for Baptism Sunday, but there is something exciting about it. And, and the, way, the way that we, we kind of see it is, is in, in Luke 15, Jesus says that there's actually more rejoicing in heaven when one person comes to faith in Jesus than over 99 self-righteous people who think they don't need a Savior. And so we want to rejoice with the heavens today. That's what we get to do. Amen? And so we get to rejoice with the heavens. And you're like, what is it that we're actually rejoicing in? Well, let me put it to you this way. In John chapter 11, uh, we see that Jesus has this uh, family that he's friends with. And they live in this town called called Bethany. And Jesus is on the road, and he's doing ministry, right? And and he gets word uh, that one of his friends from Bethany, Lazarus, is actually dying. And he gets the word, and it takes him a little while to get to Bethany. But finally, he gets there, and it's after a few days, and, and these people, they're, they're, they're mourning, and they're grieving because they've lost someone they loved. And Jesus enters in, and they're, they're so kind of overwhelmed with emotion that they even start to, at some point, kind of, kind of blame Jesus. Like, 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 like uh, the sisters, they're like, Jesus if you had only been here, our, our brother Lazarus, he, he wouldn't have died. Another one says, yeah, who, who is this guy that, that he could open blind eyes, but he couldn't even keep his own friend, Lazarus, from dying? And so they're distraught, and Jesus, he enters fully into the moment. And it says, finally, Jesus looks at them, and he says, where is and they're like, what do you mean? Where, where did you put Lazarus? Like, well, he's in the tomb. He's like, show me. So they take Jesus to the tomb. And he gets to the tomb, and he says, hey, roll that stone away. This is a paraphrase, by the way. He says, he says roll the stone away. And, and Mary and Martha, they look at Jesus, and they're like, ah, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right At this point, he's been dead for four days, and so to remove that stone, it's going to get pretty ugly. How many of you know when you're confronted with Jesus and he rolls away your stone, it's a little ugly? I think the King James says that he would be stinketh. They're saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. He's going to be really smelly. And, and Jesus, he says, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that if you believe you would see my glory. He says, roll away the stone. They roll away the stone, and it says that Jesus, in that moment, with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out! And guess what happened? He came out. The dead man came out of the grave. 
And it says that he was wrapped in all these burial cloths. And he comes out and he says, hey, unwrap him and set him free. And it says in that moment, people just believed in Jesus. Now, the reason why we celebrate baptism services, and the reason why we celebrate is because this, what we're experiencing today, is a miracle of God. It is a miracle of Christ. There's, there's this little phrase in the Bible. It's a little two-word phrase. And this little two-word phrase, it carries with it supernatural power. This little two-word phrase is so deep, it is so strong, that in it holds the glory of God. This phrase is used 114 times in the New Testament, and it is the phrase, in Christ. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read it to you. By the way, this is a participation service. You're with me on that? Some of you have been to churches where you don't participate. We're going to participate here, all right? It says this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You're, you're with me. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Say, in Christ. In Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Say, in Christ. That capital B there is a name. In Christ, it says, in the beloved. In him, say, in Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose with, he, with which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, say in Christ, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, say in Christ. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, say in Christ. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's in Christ. In Christ, we receive spiritual blessings. In Christ, we're born again. In Christ, we have a forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In Christ, all of these things are possible. And so when we discuss what the Bible means when it says in Christ, listen to me, we're not talking about some cognitive understanding, some mental agreement. But rather, when we talk about being in Christ, 
we're talking about what takes place is that Jesus Christ and our wretched souls actually are united in Christ. Listen, this goes beyond some head knowledge of Jesus. It goes beyond just simply affirming Jesus. That's very different than being in Christ. Those who are in Christ, the Bible says, are new creations. Those who are in Christ say they're alive in Christ. Those in Christ are the possession of God in Christ. It says that we're forgiven in Christ, that we're raised in Christ, and that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. This is the hope that we've been called. This is our hope. And when we understand that our future and our inheritance in Christ is power for those of us who believe in Christ, something supernatural happens like at Lazarus' tomb. So here's the question I want to answer. What would have to happen inside of someone that would make them go from enemies of God to worshipers of God? Do you find that that's a little strange? That that's not normal? What would have to happen inside of someone to make them all of a sudden start wanting to go to church? What would have to happen inside of someone that would bring them to their knees in thankfulness or raise their hands in praise or rejoice in Christ? What would have to happen in someone that would all of a sudden give them this passion for someone they haven't even seen. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. What would have to happen in someone to say, you know what, I want more of Jesus. I want to learn about Jesus. I want to grow in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to worship Jesus. Worship, that's a powerful term, is it not? What would make someone want to worship Jesus? Listen, you and I, we're created for worship. Did you know that? We're experts at worship. Worship is ascribing worth to something. Do you sign anything valuable? That's worship. And so we don't need to be told how to worship. We're born worshipers. We don't need to be taught how to worship. That's what we do. It's who we are. We actually never begin to worship. We're born worshipers, and we have to worship something. It's like breathing. It's what we do. And so sin, then, is taking our worship and placing it on anything above God. Sin, then, is simply worship misdirected, misplaced. Let me show you the result of our worship misplaced, Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in, say in, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in, say in, 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we're by nature, that word nature is by birth, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me tell you what that just said. That just said we're dead in our sin. We're dead in our worldly worship. We're dead in our disobedience. We're dead in our nature. And so everyone worships. And because sin is in our nature, it's turned us toward following the, pa the passions of our flesh and the desires of our mind. And so naturally, naturally, it's not how you grew up or it's not what you were taught or it's not your upbringing or it's not your socioeconomic status. Everyone naturally directs their hearts toward worshiping the things of this world. It says we've all once lived, we've all once chased, we've all pursued passions, we've all have misdirected worship, we've all loved created things over the creator of all things. And so if worship is the issue, follow me, and worship flows from our hearts, we will remain in our deadness and our sin until our hearts and our desires and our passions are made new. Hear me, until our hearts change, all of our external changes are superficial. Until our heart changes, all of our external changes are superficial. We would be like the guy who loves and serves his wife out of duty, but secretly wishes he was with somebody else. Oh, I have to do this. Listen. If you truly love something, you don't have to be commanded to love it. And not only that, if you, don't, if you don't love something, no command will ever change that. And so here's our dilemma. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. This is a command that we cannot actually keep. Why? Because we're dead in our sins. Why can't we keep the commands? Because dead man can't do those things. So when this verse is using the word dead in our sins, it's not saying that we're so dead that we can't sin. That's the only thing we can actually do. Sin leaves us powerless. Sin, it leaves us trapped. Let me give you this illustration. This is you. And the Bible says that, that you're actually trapped in your sin. But not only are you trapped and dead in your sin... Sin is actually in you. So sin is in you, and you are in sin. There you are, dead, trapped in your sin. You have 
no ability to get yourself out. There's no amount of goodness that somehow rescue you from your sin. So you're dead in your sin. We're stuck in our sin. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how many self-help books we read, no matter how many church services we go to, you can struggle all you want. But you are like Lazarus in the grave with your inability to get yourself out. Why? Because you're dead. Sin is in you. It's in your nature. Not only is it in your nature, it's what you do. You are in sin. So what would save someone from our great dilemma? What would have to happen in someone's heart? Well, look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, you were dead in your nature and your sin, like the rest of mankind, but God. God doesn't leave us trapped and dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Say in Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Say in Christ. In Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. Say in Christ. So he wants to show us his grace and his kindness. Listen, let me tell you what that just said in a nutshell. Are you ready for this? It says that God saves you. God does not just simply enable you to be saved. He saves you. Why does God save people? Because they clean themselves up? Because they did enough good things to make them honorable toward God? Does God save you because he put a ladder in front of you and you worked really hard to climb up to God? Is that why he saved you? Did God save you because you started going to church? Did God save you because you started doing some right things? Did God save you because you gave into the offering? Why does God save you? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Because of his mercy. That's why. Because he's merciful. Only because of his mercy. Listen, not because I deserve it. If I deserved it, it wouldn't be called mercy. But why would God be so rich in mercy? Because of the great love with which he loved us. When did he love you? When you started going to church? When you prayed a prayer, when you raised your hand, when you did an altar call, when did he start loving you? When you started learning the Bible or walking in obedience? Or did he start loving you that moment that you got baptized? No, you were dead. God's mercy to make us alive will not be a response to what we do as dead men. How God responds to us in our deadness is not a response to our religious performance. It is not God's response and our ability to clean ourselves up. 
It is not God's response to our uh, uh, morality or make ourselves presentable before him. God's decision to make us alive will not be a response to what we do as dead men, but rather what we do will be a response to God making us alive. We need the mercy of God that is compelled by the love of God. And so how does he show that love to us? He sends Christ. The Bible says that Jesus took our sin. And he puts it as far as the east is from the west. Ezekiel 36 says he takes out our heart of stone. And he fills it with Christ. This is you. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Not only is Christ in us and sin is no longer. But it says that you are sealed in Christ. There you are. Christ in you. You are in Christ. Not only that, it says that when you are in Christ, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the promise that no one can ever take you out of his hand. And so the Holy Spirit wraps you up and seals you. Let's put that right there. Holy Spirit. So now, Christ is in you. You are in Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, how many of you know Christ is in God? He says, the Father and I are one. And so not only are you in Christ and Christ in you, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, but Christ is also in God. And so you're in God when you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and nothing can take you out of his hand. All of this is his grace. Jesus removes our sin by taking our sin, dying for our sin, and then raising and giving us Christ. God is the one that makes you alive. Life in Christ is not God's response to you making a deal with God. When we say, God, I give you my life, listen to me, that's not you making a deal with God. If you ever say, God, I give you my life, that is actually a response to God making you alive, not the other way around. If salvation in Christ is a negotiation, and you have to do things or live in a certain way so that God would respond when you keep your end of the deal, and, and your reward for keeping your end of the deal is heaven, then that gives the power to you. And if that gives the power to you to save yourself, that means you get the glory. And if you get the glory, then you can actually worship yourself. And if you worship yourself, then you start to worship your religious achievements and you say, look at how awesome I've done. Look at how great I am. And that, my friend, is misplaced worship. And misplaced worship is called 
So instead of worshiping God, we worship things. And we use God for our own glory. But if God saved you when you were dead, what that means is that all of the glory and all of the worship and all of the praise belongs to him. God does not enable you to be saved. He saves you. And so baptism then is a testimony that God saved me. Baptism then is not us standing here and say, hey, this is what I did. Because we don't do anything to deserve it. And so it's not us doing something. But baptism is our response to something that God has done. I think one of the reasons why worship doesn't explode in the hearts of believers, particularly in baptism, is because we've elevated our role in this thing. Like, like, like we should get patted on the back and we say, wow, look at you up there. I'm so proud of you. Now, it's not that we're not proud of you because it takes courage to get up here, amen? But when we say things like, I'm so proud of you, I want you to imagine what you're saying. Imagine walking up to Lazarus as he walked out of the grave. And you say, wow, great job, Lazarus. I am so proud of you. Do you see it now? How ridiculous would that be? But rather, when we see someone walk out of the grave, what do we say? He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He does miracles. He just raised someone from the dead. We rejoice in Jesus. We worship Jesus. We praise Jesus for his saving love, his mercy, his saving grace. Look, you're in there. But it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so look at how it goes. Ephesians 2 again. He makes us alive. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this salvation, this grace, this faith, this is not of your own doing. I can't reiterate that enough. This salvation is not of your own doing. Listen to what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a what? It is a gift of God. It is not, it is not, it is not, it is not a result of works. Why? So that no man may Boast. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Let me ask you, why would God remove us completely from the work of salvation in us? Why would he remove us completely? One, because I would screw it up. Anyone? But the Bible says that he does it by his grace and not by our works so that no one can boast. 
So when one person turns from their sin and comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's only because of the grace of Christ. Salvation in Christ is a gift from Christ, which is why the heavens rejoice for it. They're not rejoicing that you made a, a sweet move religiously. They're not watching you on ESPN saying, oh, watch this. They're rejoicing in Christ. They're exalting Christ. They're loving Jesus because we're saved by his grace. And so what happens inside of someone that would make them all of a sudden become worshipers of Jesus? Let me read this one verse to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Do you remember in Genesis 1 where God says, let there be light? What was there before light? Darkness. Void. Emptiness. Death. No life. God said, let light shine out of darkness. That light has shone into our what? It's shown into our hearts. The same God who spoke light out of darkness, he speaks into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He lets us see when he speaks your name and he says, come out of that grave, what happens is light shines in our hearts and we see Jesus. What happens is a miracle. It's supernatural. It's mercy moving, love compelling, grace giving, miracle of God. And let me tell you something, friends. God still raises the dead. That's why you're here. This is not a religious activity. It's not a discipline. It's being saved by grace. So let me be very, very clear with you right now. Being in Christ is not merely affirming the saving grace of Jesus, but experiencing that saving grace in your heart. Listen, seeing signs, wonders, being amazed by Jesus, and simply giving the miracle worker credit saves nobody. You could sit there, you could watch all day. Look at Jesus, he calmed the storm. Look at Jesus, he fed 5,000. Look at Jesus, he opened blind eyes. Look at Jesus, he did the miracle. Look at Jesus, he raised Lazarus. Look at Jesus. And you can even cheer. Yo, Jesus, great job. Saves nobody. We need God to shine in our hearts that would bring us to faith. Union with Jesus only comes through faith in Jesus. New life in Jesus, grace of Jesus awakens the faith in Jesus, meaning there is no life outside of faith in Jesus. Which brings us to our last verse, verse 10. This salvation is a gift of God. It is not a result of work so that no man can boast. For, which means because, we don't boast. Why don't we boast? Because we are his workmanship. Everyone say workmanship. 
That word workmanship can actually be translated as poetry. We don't boast. Why? Because we're his poem. He's writing his lyrics in our lives. We are his workmanship created. Everyone say in Christ. In Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. In Christ we become his poetry. We become lives that display his glory. Our testimony is a testimony of his workmanship, not our awesomeness. This is a story that God is continuing to write on our hearts. We are writing this story in Christ. It's not religion, not morality, not church, not duty, because duty is replaced with poetry. And the Bible says that God is working in us, his creative splendor, to become worshipers of Jesus, and that is exactly what I pray happens in your heart today. As the band comes, I just want to encourage you. There is nothing more amazing, more magnificent, more exhilarating than being made alive in Christ. And listen to me, friends. When you hear Christ call your name, you can't help but come out. You can't help but respond. Some of you, when you came to faith, you came to faith because you grew up in church. You came to faith because you learned the right thing to say or not say. You learned the right thing to do or not do. You, you came to faith because, because you know what? People around you were encouraging you. But let me ask you, friends, has God truly awakened your heart? Has this been something that God has spurred in your soul? Because some of you, you grew up in religion and all you really knew were commandments or condemnation. Anybody? You say, that's all I knew. I keep the commandments or I'm condemned. If I don't keep the commandments, I'm doomed. But today, today, maybe, by God's grace, he will save you from that. You are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of your own work, but it is a gift of God. Some of you, you lived your whole life in fear trying to please him, trying to do things that are right. But for some reason, you just feel like you can never get it right. You want to know why? Because you can't. You need Jesus as your Savior. I pray that today you'll have an encounter with grace. Others of you, you walked in here, and you know you're a scoundrel. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, you know that you've fallen short. You know that you're trapped. You know that there's nothing you can do to somehow clean yourself up. Listen to me. May the grace of Jesus Christ fill your heart today. May he save you and deliver you from darkness. This is a call to life. And some of you walked in tonight or this, this morning 
and you didn't realize that you were going to get baptized. You didn't realize that grace was going to fill your heart. But today is the day. Today is the day for you to just simply say, I surrender to grace. Some of you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. Listen, do you think Lazarus in that tomb was saying, wait a minute. I'm not dressed right. Some of you say, I, I don't, I don't want to get my hair wet. You kidding? Like I rode with someone. Listen, they don't care. We got a change of clothes. We got plenty of towels. But listen, today is the day that if Jesus calls your name, that we respond with faith and we give our lives completely to him because he's made us alive. Some of you say, well, I was baptized by my parents as a child. Listen, all this is an affirmation of what they desired for you. When you were six months old, you didn't come to faith in Jesus. We were actually dead in our sin. But your parents aspired for you to come to life in Christ. And this is the day where you get to go public and say, I've given my life to Jesus. We're gonna pray, we're gonna respond, we're gonna hear some testimonies, and we're gonna celebrate. Are you with me? Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, the reason why we can come to you is because of your grace. The reason you hear our prayers is because of your grace. The reason why we're in this place is because of your grace. The reason why we can hear your word is because of your grace. And Lord Jesus, today we affirm that we are saved by grace. And so Lord, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would saturate our hearts. You would bring light into our souls. And that we would simply respond to you making us alive in Christ. And we, in that moment, become your workmanship. Put on display for the world to see your glory. If you're here today, and you've never responded to the grace of Jesus Christ for you, I'm gonna encourage you right now, right where you sit, to just simply pray a prayer. Just simply call out to Jesus. Just simply respond and say, Lord, I wanna hear your voice. Jesus, I wanna hear you call my name. The fact that you want Jesus is a, is a, is a testimony to the fact that the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart today. Right now, right where you are, will you respond to Jesus? through prayer, through worship, through obedience. Oh, Lord, seal us, oh God. Make us in Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take a moment. I wanna encourage you to pray. We have prayer partners in the back. If you need special prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We're gonna sing one song, and then we're gonna hear some awesome stories from God.